Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman. There's a quote I'm thinking about. Really pertains to this episode. Quote comes from Marian Anderson. Marian was a singer with a place in history. African-American, born in 1897, during the days of segregation. Marian was famously denied the right to sing at Constitution Hall in 1939 by the Daughters of the American Revolution. Shortly afterward, President Franklin Roosevelt and his wife Eleanor invited Marian to sing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And she did, opening with My Country Tis of Thee before a crowd of 75,000 people and a radio audience of millions. It was one of the seminal moments that changed the way African-American artists were treated, and all of us now live in America. Marion's quote is, Everyone has a gift for something, even if it is a gift of being a good friend. I was thinking about that quote after my conversation with the entrepreneur Radha Agrawal, a conversation you're about to hear in a moment. Very early on in our talk, Radha points out that one in four Americans no longer have a friend they can confide in. Technology is obviously part of the reason for this. While we may be connected to many people on social media, it's not the same as having a deep bond with someone that you can trust enough to confide in. Rada is a virtuoso in the art of human connection. She's the founder of Daybreaker, an early morning celebration that allows people all over the world to start the day by meeting others, dancing, doing yoga, and listening to great speakers in a non-alcohol environment before going off to work. I knew it was big, but was kind of shocked to learn that Radha has built her Daybreaker community to half a million people. This week, she's got a book coming out called Belong, Find Your People, Create Community, and Live a more connected life. All this made me think about how I might expand the community of big questions. I had an idea. I'm going to ask everyone listening right now to consider passing along an episode of big questions that was meaningful to them to one friend. I'm not asking you to send an episode to a long list of people. I'm asking you to consider recommending an episode of big questions to one person that you really care about. The more I do this podcast, the more I see that it revolves around how we all can get the most out of our lives. So if you have a friend who could use a little help with his or her finances, maybe you send them the conversation I had with Tim Ferriss on how to make money. If you got a friend who's unsure what direction to take their lives, maybe you send them the episode with Melanie Whelan. CEO of SoulCycle, who had an aha moment in college when she realizes that she was headed in the wrong direction and her mom pointed her the right way. If you know someone with Parkinson's disease, definitely send them the conversation with Mick Ebeling. His team at Not Impossible Labs has come up with a device that will stop the tremors of anyone with that disease. If you got a friend who wants to remember names better, send them the episode with Jim Quick. If you got a friend who's gutting out a difficult situation, send them the episode with Diana Nyad, who swam from Cuba to Florida 
on her fifth attempt at the age of 64. That's almost 54 hours in water filled with sharks and poisonous jellyfish. If you have a friend being held back by fear, you can send them the Kobe Bryant episode that shows how to minimize fear. I hope this conversation with Radha Agrawal will inspire you to reach out to just the right friend with just the right episode of Big Questions. Let me thank my friends at Squarespace and ZipRecruiter for making all this possible. You'll hear more about how they connect in the mid-roll. But for now, let's get straight to Radha Agrawal. Live from Brooklyn. Well, <laughs> maybe it's not live. <laughs> but we're from Brooklyn. We are. In the offices of Daybreaker with Radha. This is an amazing moment for me. I'm looking at your book, Belong. It's just coming out. And the cover is amazing because you've got an open door. And the door opens up to a woman that looks like you, waving. Very unique. Well, actually, it's a, I'm, I'm sort of ushering you in through the door. It's a cutout door on the cover. Um, and I'm ushering you in. It's an invitation, essentially, to a more colorful life. So when you open the book, um, the doorway leads to this really wonderful community, a colorful world. And the whole idea is that, um, you know, if you belong, your life is so much more colorful. So here's why it's so great for me to be here, just to see it. For number one, it's been a while, maybe a year or two. I know. And two, I am in the middle of a life transformation, and I have created this podcast, and I am in a very unfamiliar situation where I am the person inside that door inviting everybody in. I have to figure out ways to let everybody know you belong, come on in. And what I'd like to know from you, looking at the arc of your life, is this something that you needed to learn how to do or did you have this from birth? Well, so it's certainly something I had to relearn, right? Uh, when I turned 30 years old, I looked myself in the mirror and I realized I didn't belong. And it was like sort of one of those wake up calls because earlier on in my life, rewind, you know, 30 years before that, um, I was born as a twin, an identical twin. So I had a womb mate, I had a best friend the moment I left the womb, right? And, um, and my parents who are immigrants, Indian father, Japanese mother, really raised us in a very vibrant, um, culturally kind of diverse household. And you know, our home was Grand Central Station. I really saw um, the value and the importance of community, but then I lost that um, sort of importance along the way. And uh, really focused on my career, on boys, on so many other things that uh, distracted me from community. And then at 30 years old, I look at myself in the mirror and I realized, whoa, where are my people? I looked in my eyes in the mirror and my my the light was dim. Um, and I realized that... Uh, I know, that it kind of shocks me because whenever yeah. I see you and Mickey together, yeah. you look like you're 
tied together at the hip. You tell stories with one person saying one line and the other person <laughs> chiming in with the next. And you can tell a story back and forth. Absolutely. Well, so a community is more than just one person, right? A community is actually three or more people. And at the time, you know, if Mickey and I were fighting or, you know, so often as twins, you'll have amazing weeks and you'll have really tough days. So in the tough days, I was like, wow, where are my people at? You know, and I think that's really what it is. And a community, you know, it's more than just one, you know, so often people put their community on one person, their significant other, their wife, their husband, their partner. And that is dangerous. And and so many of my friends who are wives or are husbands feel very alone still. Even if they love their husband and partner and they still love their families, it's so important to have a diverse community. Otherwise, you're stuck in this nuclear family with only one perspective. Um, so there is... There's such an importance in in building your village, building your tribe, and something that, as American culture, yeah, we haven't really focused on. We focus on our white picket fence. This is my line. This is my line. This is your line. You know, rugged individualism, go against your own grain, nuclear family, uh, live in your own home, your own backyard. Nothing is shared. And... um, it's 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 created a, a very isolated world. Like one in four Americans now have zero friends to confide in, and what? this number has tripled in the last thirty years. What? How do we? How do people know that? Oh, well, um, the American Sociological um, Journal did a huge study on this and came out with that number. And then Harvard no friends. Yes, one in four Americans have no friends to confide in. They might have a social community of hundreds of followers on on Facebook or Instagram, but nobody they to- can talk to. Now, here's my question about this: Is that because people have stopped looking each other in the yes. eye and talking? A hundred percent. Because they're looking at a phone. Absolutely. There's an absolute correlation, actually. Studies have shown a correlation between smartphone penetration into the world and our correlation and our, and our isolation. Um, and so as soon as smartphones became sort of popularized, isolation began to, to grow. So depression, anxiety also correlates to smartphone penetration. So there's a lot of that data now coming out. You know, it's amazing when I give speeches... Uh, after there's a Q&A session, and so many people want to know, how do you connect? Yeah. And it seemed so obvious to right. me, but I took 10 years to travel around the world <laughs> right. and get on buses and trains and sit down next to people I didn't know and Absolutely. strike up conversations. But there are people who will ask, like, what question should I ask exactly. to start a conversation? And I have that in my book, you know. You do? Of, oh, yeah. Instead of saying, what do you do? You ask, you know, what are you most excited about right now? You know, if there was something that, you know, you could be doing tomorrow, what would it be? There's just so many questions that you can ask um, that that go beyond what do you do, you know, or what can you do for me? <laughs> now, did all this come about because of Daybreaker and the community that you've built with all these people who come in to party at Absolutely. hours early in the morning. So Daybreaker inspired the writing of this book. Um, but then I, I, you know, Daybreaker, the community, I would start getting, I started getting emails probably, you know, five, 10 times a week from community members and just different um, community builders wanting to create community and wanting to ask and seek advice from me. And I would go to them. So I spent probably, you know, the, months of my life meeting, you know, different people for 30 minute or hour long coffees or two hour long um, meetings. And in that time, I realized like there's just 
not enough time in a one hour coffee to share all of the knowledge that I've gained over the last, you know, 10 years in, in, in architect and community. Um, I, yeah. Well, how, how did Daybreaker start? Yeah, sure. So Daybreaker, first of all, is an early, for those who don't know what it is, um, we're an early morning dance movement all around the world. We uh, wake up at sunrise before going to work on a weekday morning. And without drugs, without alcohol, um, we replace that with green juice, coffee and tea. We dance with reckless abandon before going to work. And the whole idea is to have a space to self-express and, and connect with yourself and one another in a way that's um, sort of authentic and, and so I'm embarrassed to say that I've never I been can't to believe a daybreak. That. <laughs> I am really upset with you for that, Cal. I'm not even joking. This I'm going to send not... you a ticket, and oh. <laughs> and you're going to Daybreak LA with Kevin. But usually, that's Kevin, the manager. <laughs> usually, I'm like writing really early in the morning, so. I have to just reconfigure my day in order to pull that off. So let me give you, so Jane Goodall came to Daybreaker unannounced once, and I always say that, you know, it's a nice study. I think she's studying a new generation of apes, which is our community. <laughs> so I think that for you, maybe you can reframe it as this is a sociological experiment. Let me just go and check out what's, what, what so the heck's what, what about. What do I, somebody comes into a Daybreaker, what do they see? Yep, so you walk in, it's a three-hour experience, starts at 6 a.m., depending on the city, and, um, Los Angeles starts at 5.30 um, but 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. is a yoga experience, a deep house, really cool yoga led by a DJ, um, oftentimes with sound bowls, really cool instrumentation added to it uh, for the first hour. And the second two hours is a full-on immersive dance party, so not just some dude pushing buttons, you know, right, uh, as, at the DJ booth, but it and, and alcohol being served, you're wearing in lines the whole time. Everything is grab-and-go, so uh, green juice, coffee, and teas are free. We have a whole experiential Dance floors, so dueling sax players, break dancers, aerialists, fire spinners, all kinds of performative elements to the experience to sort of wake you up, wake up all of your senses in such a creative and meaningful way. And then dance is the most healing modality that exists. It's the most creative exercise that exists right now uh, or in the world. And um, and we don't think of it that way, right? We think of dance as a party, but dance is actually both a party and it's fun, but it's also, it connects your neural pathways in ways that no other form of exercise can. You know, we have deadened our neural pathways from sort of our friends being like, you're dumb for dancing. When you start turning, you know, eight or nine years old, your friends start making fun of you for dancing or you start beginning to feel self-conscious. So we lose that creativity, that self-expression, right? And also we start going to yoga and we do downward dog and, and instructors tell us what to do. But if you actually let your body flop around naturally and if you let your body self-express and move the way it should, then all of a sudden you're reconnecting these creative neural pathways that then open up this whole new world for you. And I can't really say enough how much dance has actually fueled the writing of this book, has fueled my businesses, has fueled my success. You know, it really is. How, how did you have the idea to do this? You know, as a mid thirty year old woman, so I was thirty years old. I didn't belong. I then spent four, you know, four years really working on my personal community, really focusing on my personal community. And then thirty four, I realized, wow, um, 
I have an awesome community, but we have nowhere to go. <laughs> so I, my sister and I and all my friends, we'd want to go out at night. We'd go to nightclubs. I was even an investor in a nightclub in Brooklyn. And we'd just go out there and it was just everyone on ketamine or like on some new designer drug or some jerk bouncer telling you, looking up and down and um, really sort of um, the environment was dark and negative and on, frankly, very masculine. No offense, like all men and women have masculine and feminine, but you go out at night and it's very testosterone heavy. It's very masculine. Men are looking to hook up with women where women want to just often just let go and dance. So I had to edit my dance moves because I couldn't fully let my freak flag fly because some creepy dude <laughs> because some creepy dude would come up and rub his, rub, think of it as an invitation. Like, oh, she's being sexual. She's inviting me. Whereas I just was being a crazy dancer. Dance. Yeah, yeah. Was you know, and dance. I just leave yeah. me alone. I just want to let loose. I've had a long week at the office. I'm in a hamster wheel of entrepreneurship. You know, let me just be here. So I've had to edit my moves and it was always this like very interesting negotiation every time I'd go out. So, so you felt like you didn't belong. Yes. And our friends did too. And all my girlfriends, we were all like complaining about it all the time. And so then my good friend Matt and I came together over late night falafels one night. It was 3 a.m., like after night out. And we're just like, what are we doing? I'm 35 years old. I don't want to be going out um, and having beer spelled all over me, you know? And um, so the whole idea was, you know, what if we took all the positives of nightlife and and then experimented with other variables. So let's. What do we love about NetLife? We love the dancing part. We love the community building. We love sort of this gathering of 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 spirits in one space, self-expressing. But what if we tried different things? What if we did it in the morning, where studies have shown our energy is the most full? We all came from the same place, our bed. Whereas I'm a very sensitive, energetic person. I'll go out at night. And people are different energy levels, right? So someone might have been yelled at by their boss. They might have gotten in a fight with their boyfriend. So you go out at night and you walk into a bar or a nightclub and just the energy is completely all over the place because people are coming to nightlife all over the place. But in the morning, the energy is pure. It's clean. It's vibrant. It's optimistic. It's just, it's just so sort of stunningly human. And, and so we said, okay, what if we try it in the morning? And What was the first one like? Oh my gosh. The first one was unbelievable. It was the first snowfall in New York City, December 10th, 2013. Um, and I was nervous because we'd invited 300 friends. It was password protected. We only invited 300 people that we had handpicked over two weeks who would be what I call FYF in my book, a fuck yeah friend. And someone who's going to be like, fuck yeah, I'll, I'll wake up at 6 a.m. and dance before going to work. So the first one was just unbelievably magical. Um, so many of the elements from our first one we have kept today. In fact, most of them we have kept today. We started out with this incredible um, dance party. At the time, we didn't have yoga, but we had this wonderful dance party experience with flying jellyfish that lit up with watermelon water flowing and Runa energy drinks and just all kinds of wonderful things and break dancers and slam poets. And it was just this incredible morning. And, and at snowfall, I was like, oh God, what if no one showed up? And again, this is why the important part of my story is from 30 to 35, 34, I spent building my personal community because they all showed up for me. They could have hit snooze. They could have said, it's snowing. I'm not going, you know, but everyone woke up, got dressed up in costume and came to, to dance their hearts out for both me and Matt, but also to experience something new. But I really have so much deep um, I'm indebted to that community for having sparked and started this community in the first place because without them, this wouldn't exist. So then the last part of Daybreaker 
is what I call the intention ceremony. So the last 15 minutes of Daybreaker, we stop the music. So imagine a nightclub that would stop the music and then everyone sits on the dance floor where they just dance their hearts out. That would never happen in a nightclub. But everyone sits on the dance floor and all of a sudden we have a speaker, a sex therapist, or an astronaut, or a singer-songwriter, or a poet, or a speaker, hopefully Cal Fussman someday, um, you know, come and share their story. And all of a sudden, the dance floor's electric place turns into a grounding space where someone is going to open up your heart even more. And then we do an intention reading. So uh, I'll pick a Dr. Seuss poem. I'll pick an amazing poem by some incredible um, author or, or speaker. And we'll read this intention out loud together. Imagine 300 voices sort of sharing this one poem out loud together. It's this wonderful connected grounding moment. So do you then depend on those 300 to go out and say, hey, you gotta see this, you gotta be part of this. And then you know that because you hand selected those 300, they're gonna pick people who you would hand select. So absolutely, so so that's why, you know, I call them portals in my book. So. So often today in the in the social media world, we call people influencers, the influencer marketing uh, strategy. And I'm going to get this influencer to post, you know, on this. And influencers are wonderful um, only if they have they're a portal to an, a real world, right? I, I, you know, so often people will spend all of their time building up their social media following, but feel deeply empty in real life, right? They'll, they'll spend all of their time building out their follower base and, and focusing on how many likes and followers I have and not have a single friend in the world to talk to, right? So, so, so for me, what I focused on is somewhat, so these 300 people are not only you know, incredible friends, but they're also portals. They really deeply care about the person-to-person, the tactile friend-to-friend relationship. And so, yeah, I wasn't expecting, truthfully, it to go any further than the very first one. You know, yes, we had developed a logo and a a brand sort of aesthetic for it just in case, but it wasn't meant to be anything more than a social experiment, art project. But it went so well that we just were flooded. Our, Our text messages and our emails were flooded with that was epic. When can we do this again? So Matt and I looked at each other. We're like, all right, I guess we'll do it next month. And then so then a month later, we did it again, password protected invitation and people invited their friends. And all of a sudden we had 500 people at our second event. How many friends do you have? Honestly, I am blessed now that I have more friends than I can count on, on, on 10 fingers, um, but, and 10 toes, you know, but how big is your community? I mean, our Dayburger community is almost half a million people now. Half a million people? <laughs> yeah. We're almost half a million people in 23 cities and 12 college campuses all over the world. Yeah. And we're growing. We're launching San Diego, Portland, Atlanta in the next um, three months. And um, we're not stopping anytime soon. Like, our goal is for the whole world to be dancing. Yeah. I'm trying to... But my personal community is, I would say, you know, the ones I really deeply value and can uh, confide the, in. The inner circle. The inner, what I call inner core community in my right. book. So there's the... There's the sort of, there's four stages of community, right? Um, that I talk about in Belong. So the outer the outer core, the outer sort of side of this bullseye is is your exploratory community. So the community that you're exploring. I go to Burning Man, I go to Summit Series, I go to all these really cool places and spaces that I want to explore and find my people. Then from the exploratory um, sort of outer rim of that bullseye, you move one rung into the participatory rung where you begin to give your energy. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm Cal Fussman. I just met this really awesome community in South Africa that I really 
like, I'm going to start taking out the trash with them. I'm going to start cooking with them. I'm going to start creating a, an event or experience with them. All of a sudden you're participating, therefore you feel connected, more connected to them. And from that participatory community, then you begin to find your outer core community, which then leads to your inner core community. So it really is quite strategic if you think about it. And so if, if I was to think like this, I would like it to get this podcast up to 500,000 people right. wanting to come. Yep. What, what do I do to think like you did when you created this? Step one is, I think what you're doing right now, which is um, really connecting with portals as well. So I'm going to share this with my community, half a million people, and hopefully they begin to follow Cal Fussman's amazing uh, amazing podcast. And so, um, that's, that's, you know, that's the first thing. Cause I'm, I'm genuinely excited and interested in you. I also, because I know you, right. And I say, no, you were, were, you know, kind of new right. friends, but I feel like we've, we have a history where I've known you for a few years. You're dear friends with some of my dear friends. It's so a, I already it's feel amazing when you think about it, you can be with somebody for one night of storytelling and you're laughing, <laughs> crying together and for the rest of your life, you're linked. Yes. And that's, that's, that's what, this is what's going to build your podcast, right? It's not just the listeners out there who are listening to us right now, but it's then creating these connection points for them to meet you in the real world, right? And it's, it's. So no, now I got to go out and meet them. Well, you do these I events. was thinking, I was thinking about this. Yeah. It's actually important. It's, Kevin, the manager, <laughs> actually was suggesting to go to places where there are a lot of people who listen to the podcast yes. and then have like a night at the bar, or yep. a night at the cafe. Absolutely, to meet with Cal Fussman. Are you kidding me? That would be such a huge dream. Well, for me to meet with them. Exactly. Well, on both sides, yeah. right? And yeah. so, and so, yeah, for us with my book, Belong, I'm building a really cool um, a Belong ambassador program. So anybody who really feels connected to community and, and the importance of it, I'm building a 200 person ambassador program for the book. So 20 people per city to go and really share about the concepts, the, the, the mission of the book to as many people as they can. Right. And so like, that kind of stuff is, is you, I mean, how do you think of this uh, ambassador? <laughs> <laughs> well, because I, I never heard of a book with ambassadors before. Well, because community building requires community to grow it, right? And and so a book about belonging shouldn't just be led by one person. It should be led by a group of people. And so to me, everything that we do should sort of relate to the topic that we care about. So for you with big ideas, right, it's big questions. You know, I, I when I think about big questions, there's so many things that, that come to mind. So it's like, you know, I would go and meet with as many, I don't know. Um, I need ambassadors for yeah, big questions. Yeah, ambassadors for big questions. People who are like, I mean, so my dear friend, Max Dossel, he is. I, I know him. Yeah, Max, yeah, there you go. So he's always thinking about the big questions in life. My friend Tristan Harris, who's always thinking about big questions in life. There's so many people like my buddy, Tobias Rose Stockwell, he's always thinking about um, the big questions in life. There's so many people who are on that path of just like, what is life? Why, is, why are we here? And, and if you just hooked on with all these people who would be like, wow, Cal Fussman is like my homie. And, and they're all thinking about the same things. And you have these forums of people who are thinking about big questions. All of a sudden you have a tribe, you have a huge ambassador community who's like, 
you got to listen to Cal Fussman's Big Questions podcast. He really tackles the things that we are all thinking about. And and that's the stuff, right? And instead of trying to throw spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks, like go after the people who are already thinking about the big questions in life. And there are millions of them around the world, right? For Daybreaker, we throw dance parties. We want community builders who love connecting people all around the world. So if that's you, listener out there, who wants to bring Daybreaker to Minneapolis or Los Angeles, you know, or, or Cedar or, Rapids, Iowa. Yeah, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, exactly. You know, all we ask is that you get 3,000 people in your community to sign up and, and then that unlocks your city. So we basically have gone backwards, right? Instead of saying, okay, great, we're going to launch a city and, and build it up. We actually ask the community to want us to be there in the first place. So 3,000 emails will unlock your city. So we have 5,000 email subscribers right now <laughs> in Atlanta, Georgia, who want us to come to Atlanta. We have 4,000 people who've signed up for Portland, Oregon, who want us to come to Portland. So, we've, so that those cities are now unlocked, and here we are now looking for the best community architects out there and what we call community catalysts in those cities. So Daybreak is growing, 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 growing. When does the idea for the book, Belong, come to you? So Blong comes out in September 5th of this fall. When was the idea, oh, the idea sorry. To, to write it? Oh, gosh. Well, do you want to know the truth? It was the day after the elections. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. I was just talking to a woman <laughs> about this yesterday because yeah. I'm still trying to understand, like, the Me Too movement. Yeah. And, and she pinpointed it to that evening. Yeah. Election. Yeah, evening. I have goosebumps even just uh, thinking about that. But uh, you know, well, where, I where, say, were you? where were you? I was at my restaurant, Wild, with my sister and my, all my friends, and, and we were watching place, the right? election. Yep, we have a, a, a pizzeria. Our very first business when we were twenty five years old. We opened an organic pizzeria in New York City. Big mistake. No, but it was. It, we were still around fifteen years later. But you know, uh, it was amazing, uh, and it's been amazing. But we were there you, were you watching. Expecting a big celebration. So you want to know? Right. The next morning, we were doing a daybreaker celebrating Hillary's victory. I had hired a twelve-piece band for daybreaker. We'd sold out tickets. We had. Um, I had made. A 300 Hillary dolls to hand out for my buddy who's a doll maker. I had balloons made that said, I'm with her. I had speeches planned talking about how we have a first female president. Like we had really gone all out. And and so you were convinced oh, oh, she's yeah. going to win. There's oh, no- yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then the next morning. Well, hold you know, it. Let's break this yeah. down because <laughs> I was watching that night. I was on a cruise, it was Summit. Okay, yeah. And there was a guy sitting next to me from Toronto, and he keeps turning to me as the results are coming in, says, Mark my words, Hillary's got this in the bag. Like, just dis- disbelief. And I'm saying, I don't know, these numbers are seem to be going the other way. What's going on in your mind and your belly as the numbers are starting to come in? Uh, there was disbelief, um, sort of just kind of like, oh my God, you know, has someone tampered with the elections? I mean, there was, there's so many sort of conspiracy theories going through my mind of like, you know, this, this is absolutely impossible. And truth, you know, she won the popular vote and, and, you know, the gerrymandering, there's just so many reasons why, uh, why he won, um, that, that are more political in nature, but also the fact that he, it just it was a was a um, 
Yeah, I think I, I just didn't believe it. So I, I'm, I'm back to that so, moment. And, and I'm like, I'm trying, if I'm I was watching a movie of yeah. you, uh, was Mickey with you, yep. your sister? Mickey, all of our friends. All your friends. I'm watching this movie of you all watching these results. What am I seeing? Are there people crying? Or- oh, yeah. We were crying. We were honestly all white-faced. We were just like pale-faced. We were... We were like shoulder. I, it felt like the day after 9-11, to be honest with you. Yeah. And and uh, I was here for that, too. Um, and I've never felt that level of sort of disbelief and sorrow that I felt since that day. And I never thought I'd feel that again until that moment. But then on the other side of it, you know, they're the silver lining with both. Wait, but hold it. Before the silver lining, yeah. I, I want to understand it because this is the second time in two days uh, where somebody literally identified that night as this shift in the way women were going to see America. Yeah. Do you 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 feel that way? I mean, yeah. I, I think that there was finally this breaking point. I mean, we were doing that with Thinks already, breaking the taboos around menstruation and period and that's management. An, that's an underwear. Our underwear company, yeah. And uh, my sister and I started that as well to really break the taboos and support women around the world. So, you know, we've been fighting the fight for many years now. Since 2013, we launched uh, Thinks. But then when Trump was elected, it was kind of like this... You know, and so many other, you know, women, of course, have been fighting for, for decades and decades, but Trump's election was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back and everybody who'd been like, you know, period underwear is gross or like, I don't know about this. We're just like, enough is enough. And um, yeah, so I have to say that, that that's the silver lining is that, you know, that that we came together that I think I really believe that Trump in many ways is a martyr for our awakening. And, and um, you know, his, his martyrdom is, you know, obviously in a way that all of us can't stand and are, are really embarrassed by. But I really do believe he's a, he's a martyr for our awakening. And he was sent sort of to us to, to wake up and save our planet. <laughs> oh, do you think women became different after that day? I have to say, I have so many women friends who said all of a sudden... They had a bounce in their step, in their power and their strength. Not after that day, but after the Me Too movement happened. Oh, so thereafter. Ba- basically, it swings around till October. Yeah. And we have the whole Harvey Weinstein yep. scandal. And then everybody goes to the internet. So now you have technology. Yes. Pushing forward. And that's the beauty of technology. You know, it's it's the the, the ability to be able to share sort of, um, and create a transparent world is, is in many ways a way to topple the patriarchy and, and, and the way, you know, topple so many sort of the dark stuff that, that exists in our world. Um, so I, I, you know, I think that, you know, Facebook, all the social media gets so much sort of, um, flack for it, but I think that there's both the road to hell is paved with good intentions, as they say, you know? Um, and and I don't even think Trump has terrible intent. Like, I think that, you know, I think everybody has their own perspective and we have to just learn to listen to each other. We've just created a polarized world. Uh, my dad is a Trump supporter, you know? And, and he's Indian. He's a brown Indian man. Um, and What's that conversation like? It's always a hang-up phone call. It's always a very heated debate and a hang-up phone call. And... Um, and he's three daughters, you know, and, and I found out two, like a year and a half later after the election, this is recently that my dad actually voted for Hillary. He never told us that he told us he was a staunch Trump supporter and he was too proud 
to tell us that he had voted for Hillary because he didn't want us to feel smug. But um, but then but then uh, my mom outed him. My mom said, uh, you know, he has three daughters. He he just didn't feel right after the scandal, the women female scandal, to vote for for him, even though he's very Republican in his policies and all sort of stuff. But it was. It's been a very interesting uh, household ever since. We just don't even touch politics now. Time for a word from our sponsors. And in the spirit of this episode, I want to pass on a story about making connections. I've been telling you about ZipRecruiter for months now. Let me tell you why I feel so good about it. Last week, I got a message from one of my listeners, a guy named Brady in Michigan. During the last 10 years, Brady had spent an hour and a half to almost two hours a day on the road commuting back and forth to work. He added that up and calculated it was the equivalent of 20 solid days of driving every year. That was a lot of time he wasn't available to help his wife raise two little boys and it bothered him that he was missing out on being around them. So Brady went on the ZipRecruiter job search app and check this out. He got three job offers in a week. One of those companies was only 10 minutes from his home. And not only that, the company offered a higher salary and more vacation time. With his new job, Brady has gained most of those 20 lost days back. And he's ecstatic about it to say nothing about his wife and kids. If you need a job, look to ZipRecruiter. And if you need to hire, go to ZipRecruiter.com backslash Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N. All you got to do is type in your job description, and with a single click, you'll have qualified candidates within 24 hours on me. ZipRecruiter. It's the smartest way to hire. And Squarespace. In my mind, Squarespace is synonymous with the word connection. Every time I check the inbox of my email and see the word Squarespace, I know somebody has heard this podcast, gone to calfussman.com and sent me a message. Maybe even a photo of where they listen to big questions. And man, does it make me happy to get a photo from the forests of Denmark from Kevin, not the manager, Martin. If you need to get your message out to the world, go to squarespace.com, use the offer code Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, to get 10% off a new domain name or website. Then connect with Squarespace. Your photos are going to pop. Your messaging is going to be crisp and clear. And I'm telling you, good things will come your way. Do women belong to a new community because of everything that's happened over the last year and a half? Do, do they see themselves in a new place? Oh, yeah. With a new community? Oh my gosh, it is, you know, we have historically been, you know, sort of catfighting all of our lives. Women are jealous of each other. Women are envious of each other. Women want to bring each other down. I mean, so many of every takedown story I've ever heard of is a woman taking down another woman CEO because she's jealous or envious of this woman's success. 
Why, why does that happen? Or is it because just a- we have been bred to um, to to fight one another through movies, through culture, by jealousy and envy, by women in movies stealing other men. There's just like so much sort of of that happening culturally. Um, and also, frankly, our hormones as well. Women were naturally sort of, um, you know, we're naturally more sensitive. And, and so we also tend to kind of um, want to emulate one another or feel envy of one another if someone else is doing better. It's just where men are more like chummy with each other. It's just sort of, um, I don't know, it just, it's just been historically how we've been raised. And, and now- um, So that you think that's coming down now? Oh yeah, absolutely. Women are now banding together. We're turning into the bonobo apes. <laughs> the bonobo <laughs> apes are a, matri- a matriarchal society. Bonobo apes support one another. Bonobo apes only mate with gentle, kind, male apes. So in one generation, a bonobo ape female community can eradicate all aggressive males. And it's an incredible community where here women, somehow we still find the macho, we used to find the macho frat guy hot and cool, but now it's the nerdy, smart, intelligent entrepreneur saving the world that we find to be hot and cool. So we're beginning to mate with the gentler ones. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's beginning, like I, I have, you know, 15 female friends now who, most of whom have had, have had boys, have sons in their last year or two. And I'm just so excited for these young men to be raised by these strong and powerful women. So the tide is shifting now and just you wait. <laughs> but yeah, there's a, there's a, you know, women are saying like one woman, she's South American. She's very, very machismo culture in Buenos Aires and in, in Argentina. And she told me the other day, she's like, she's walking with her chest up and more proud down the street being a woman. Whereas just two years ago, she might've been like still in that kind of pejorative, um, I, I lesser than, uh, um, would uh, would have had that perspective of herself. So it's, it's a very, very cool shift happening now. And so where does the idea for you to write belong come in in this yep. landscape? So the day of the elections, um, I just said, okay, enough's enough. We got we to make this happen. And then um, I then met with an amazing agent, this woman who believed in me and this book. And I just said, you know, it's time that we, that, that there's a female perspective writing about community building. If every book I ever bought about community building has been written by uh, an old white man, and and you know, and and um, it, it, the, we just haven't had the opportunity to have our voices be distributed in this way. And women are natural community builders; we're natural gatherers, right, organizers. And yet, every man, every man has written the most sort of read book on community building. Um, so, what is there a difference between that outlook and yours? I just think that, yeah, there's there's a more, I mean, every book I've ever read on community building has been very um, prescriptive in a way or theoretical, you know, kind of lacks heart. Um, no dancing. <laughs> and I just feel like, you know, we, we live in a time where we want heart. We want story. We, want, we don't want to just be told data and facts, you know, which can be very masculine. We, I want to know the why. Like, what is the story behind it? What is the empathetic reason for wanting why, why community is so important? Um, what are sort of 
the real reasons deep down that none, you know, no male and female want to talk about, which is I don't want to be left out. I don't want to feel like I don't belong. I want to feel like I'm included in this life, in this world. And, and that's the kind of stuff that we often will shy away from having conversations. I have never read a book that talks about, in my book, what I call FOBLO, fear of being left out. Right. There's FOMO, fear of missing out. But the more subversive, the darker side of FOMO, which is I could have been there, but I wasn't. Man, I feel FOMO is faux blow is that you couldn't be there because you weren't invited. Right. And so, you know, we are it's a deep we're deeply ashamed of faux blow. And all of our lives when we're little kids. I mean, have you ever felt faux blow? No, I never heard of faux blow. But, until ha- just now. but you never felt like you you weren't you were left out as a kid or at any moment in your life. I have a very different perspective. And be, and that is that I've always been the person that kind of drifted off by myself. So if so I- So you're protecting yourself. I didn't even realize that till just now, but basically I always found that either I was invited in or if I wasn't invited in, it was probably a good thing because <laughs> if they didn't want me, then why would I want to be there? Right. So right. I, I never so, had any bad feelings around that. Wow, that's that's very rare. Um, I, that that's hard to believe. I mean, like even as a kid, you never felt that way with siblings, parents, friends, elementary. Just a moment. There was never a moment where you were like, "Wow, I feel left out right now." I, you know, I have a twin. I have abundant amount of friends, but boy, have I felt left out before, and it hurts. It's as painful as having a broken leg. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fear of being left out has the same physical sort of suffering and pain as having a broken bone. Yeah. I can't even comprehend that that feeling. And it's it's because I, I can't get into that party. Uh-huh. I can't. No, I, I can understand if you like somebody and they say, nah, really, you're not, not my type or I don't want to go on a date with you. And that... Does that apply? Right. Um, well, not not so much. Not really, because yeah, you're no, asking for more, a little too much there. Well, no, but also I, I I very highly encourage the courage to go out and ask out as many people as you can when you're single and to really have developed the courage. I think we hide behind screens. We, we're so scared of asking people out today that I actually encourage everyone in our community, you know, clients, whatever, um, to to go out there and and have the courage to just yeah be rejected or 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 have the success of meeting someone. So no, it's not about the romance. It's it's really about um, groups who will get together and and will say you know in high school Mean Girls you know it's like I'm gonna leave you. I've done that too. I've certainly done that too. I was you know I was there were moments in my life that where someone was not nice to me and as a result. You know, when I had the opportunity, I left them out too in high school, you know? So, so it's like, there, but that only creates this negative, terrible doom yeah. spiral. So now when that happens to me, I actually do the opposite. If I've been left out or feel left out, I'll just invite that person to my next party um, if I care that much, you know? So, and, and frankly, I, as I get older, of course, I, I don't feel that as much anymore. Um, and, it, and maybe... I'm looking at this the wrong way because I'm thinking back over the decades and now like I've, I'm married, I've got three kids, oldest is 24. It's hard. I never really went out on dates though. Got it. I never, very rarely asked somebody out on a date because I would just meet somebody and then things would happen. <laughs> right. And 
there didn't need to be that awkward moment of, will you go to the movies with me or do you want to go out? So you never like romanced a woman. I I have a I have like a a bin of like scrapbooks and postcards and puzzles and songs written about. I mean, all just the like people who romanced you. Yeah, You're yeah. Kidding. No, it's amazing. I mean, I was very lucky, but it's just like I mean, American men are the most romantic men in the world. Like I was, I'm Canadian. I'm from Montreal, born and raised. I moved to America when I was 18. Um, and and I, I mean. You know, no Canadian boy ever. You just go out, you get drunk on beer, Molson beer, and you get wasted, and then you make out, and now your boyfriend, girlfriend. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, but like, uh, but American men really court you. And anyway, so it's total tangent. But anyways, <laughs> well, I, I didn't, I didn't know that. Well, if you didn't court women, Cal, I gotta tell you, tisk tisk. <laughs> well, it's it's not it's not that I wasn't always with them. It just the, the I don't know that the courting was. That's so that. fun to court. It's so fun to. And as a woman, I court my man too. I take him out on wonderful dates all the time. I surprise him. I'm doing, I'm I'm pregnant right now, and I'm doing a gender reveal surprise for him. And next Tuesday, uh, that's a, that's a surprise. Yeah, he doesn't know the gender. I found out um, by accident, but um, but How are you gonna tell him? Oh, I'm doing this whole. Um, I'm having everybody wear white. If you're here on Tuesday, you're welcome to come. But, <laughs> okay. um, so but everybody wears white. Everyone's going to wear white. And um, kind of like Indian culture, you know, where you have like the Indian, like sort of festival of colors. Right. You throw powder. So I was going to wear, and then we're going to have balloons that are filled with this colored powder. And then we're all going to throw it at him and each other and and have this like amazing sort of reveal moment. Um, and then I have this. Um, this uh, vocal immersion sound sort of um, healer woman who's going to come and do this wonderful ceremony for us. Yeah, but but the reveal is going to be really cool. And then um, that's one option. The other option is a pinata, but that's not as cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we're going to do the all white with the with the yeah with the powder filled balloons. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you how it goes. I'm- I'm mighty, I'm mighty interested. <laughs> and and so when you think about being a mom, yeah, it's too early to know because you're not a mom yet. Right. Uh, well, I am here. My tw- my twin sister's son is my son too. We're identical twins, so our DNA, you know half what? his DNA is my DNA. Wow. Yeah. What is that like? <laughs> oh, it's wild. She bore my child. Yeah, it's cool. It's the coolest thing ever. He's the coolest kid. Now, when he looks up. Oh yeah, he's very confused. He's always he, at first he said he cried all the time, and I got very sad about it. He cried all the time because he would try to you know eat my boobs, oh. and then nothing would come out, and then I would just do it for fun for my sister, and then and then he and then but then that wasn't actually why he cried. He cried because he was very confused. He just couldn't tell us apart. But now he recognizes us. He calls me Dada, Rada, but Dada, and um, we're best of friends. Yeah, he's the coolest kid. Does being a twin make you see belonging? Oh yeah, in, in a different way because I imagine that you're so tight with your sister, you're thinking. I, I've seen you basically tell each other stories, and I don't know if you're thinking each other's thoughts. Absolutely, you are. Absolutely, um, belonging 
But you can feel that with just more than just a twin. You can feel that with deep friendships. Like I feel that with so many of my good friends, we can we think exactly alike. And or, or a moment, I'll say the same thing. Like oh my god, I think it's just that. Or I'll text a friend the exact same time they're texting me, and we'll text the same thing. You know, or there's you can have that with with friends that you go deep with. It takes ninety hours um, to call someone a friend. And you have to spend 90 hours with somebody to call them a, a who, who came up with this? There's all kinds of studies that have, have shown this. Um, I don't remember the actual data point right now, but I can get back to you on that. But it's um, essentially, this is why festivals, when you go to a, a three-day festival, um, you're spending you know, often 90 hours with somebody or, or 100 hours. And if you're a burning man, I'm going for 10 days. And you can get close to some You got 240 very, hours in there. There you go. Exactly. And so um, all of a sudden, that's why these deep and meaningful connected festivals are so, so important in our lives because we finally leave our phones behind and we go deep with one, two, four, five people. And all of a sudden you have this wonderful tribe. But in New York City, I can have a two-hour dinner with somebody. I have to go out with them 45 times for us to become real friends. So my friends who are, who are like, they're scheduling dinner with me for two hours and they have to leave to run off somewhere else. It takes us years to be friends, right? Real deep friends. And I say that, but like to call somebody a deep, deep, deep friend, right? But- What is a friend? A friend is someone with whom you feel safe enough to be fully yourself, to be fully seen, for them to love you for exactly who you are, warts and all. So I can have a, a frustrated moment with you or a deep elated moment with you where I can cry my eyes out with you and feel fully safe to do that. Um, Good and, definition. Yeah, and I think it's like, I think belonging is a feeling, whereas community is the space in which we experience that feeling, right? So community is a buzzword these days. Like, I want to build my community, I want to build my community, but I'm part of the Indian community or the Japanese community, but I might not feel a sense of belonging in that community, Right. But I'm part of that community because I'm Indian and Japanese, or I'm uh, I'm a I'm a football fan of the New York Giants. So you're part of the Giants I'm part, community. I'm part of Giants, but I don't really—they're not my people, you right. know. Um, so there's all these communities that we belong to, or that we are part of, but that we don't feel a sense of belonging in. So belonging is a feeling of like, ah, I'm home. I can be fully exhaled here. I can. These are my people with whom I can cry, be right, fully seen. And that's the that's the difference. Like someone often thinks that community is enough, but it's actually experiencing the feeling. It's the energy that is way, way more important. So when you like a certain restaurant and other people like a certain restaurant, you go in, you meet them, that's community. Yeah, well, that's a community around that restaurant or around whatever it may be. Um, but but what's nice about it is that now you share the same interests, right? You share the same. And so the odds of you, that interest turning into a friendship that is more meaningful because you share the same values or interests, right? That will then lead you obviously to a more, um, like the likelihood of a deeper friendship. So that's why when I when you go and explore the communities, you have to first take the time to understand who you are. So the first half of my book is actually about going in right? My mantra for community buildings, you have to go in to go out. And so often, like for you to build your half a million person community on your podcast, you might be like, how do I do that? Well, first we have to take some time to journey inside and ask yourself, okay, great. What are all the things I value? What are those things I'm interested in? What, what are all the things that I can do that's going to make me happy for the rest of my life, right? So that then I, when I go out to build my community, I've taken the time to first be gently self-aware of who I am. You know what? I'm starting to do this. Awesome. I, I, I'm in the middle of a process. I just lost 25 pounds. 
Wow. Congratulations. And there's been some exercise and diet involved. But one of the things I realized was when I was a kid, I loved riding on a bicycle. Yes. My favorite thing, too. Yours, too? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I I mean, can you remember being a kid on a bicycle? Yeah. Freedom. Freedom. Wind blowing. Do you remember the bicycle? Oh, yeah, of course I do. It was this yellow gold bicycle, um, a little BMX, and I was four years old. I learned how to ride. I was the first one in my family to learn how to ride a two-wheel bicycle, and I just was, like, free as a bird. That's what I was remembering. Not at four, a little later. For me, it was a stingray with those tall handles. (laughs) Child of the 70s. And I just realized, you know, I'm going to go back and ride a bicycle. Yes, in Cali, in, in California. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to go down the beach in Santa Monica and that one with fat tires. Yep. And it made me so happy. And I must have mentioned it. This is really, we're getting somewhere here. I mentioned it. And the next thing you know, I get an email from a bicycle maker in China asking me for my measurements. Because he would like to custom make me a bicycle out of bamboo. That's so cool. But I guess this is what you're talking about. Yeah, I went inside. Exactly. And then I just explained what I was doing. And then the outside was invited in. Exactly. That's it. And when you start radiating from the inside out what you want, what your values are, and, and get clear on that, because so often society tells us what we should be doing and what we should be thinking is cool or relevant when that's not actually who we are. I might like Dungeons and Dragons when society says that, you know, uh, whatever, it's not cool, you know? So I'm, I'm making this up. But but the whole idea is that we often will mask the real versions of ourselves to be liked or to be relevant in the world. And so once we actually take the time to, to get go inside, then we say, okay, great. So I have you do these Venn diagrams. I have you go on this whole journey. Oh, this is all in your book? Yeah, yeah, it's all in my, it's all in my really? book. Really? Yeah. There's 20 exercises in my book. And by the time you close the book, you've gone in, and then you've now, you've now developed a blueprint for your dream community when you go out. Yeah. So, man, I, get it. <laughs> I can't wait to read it. You're gonna love it, Cal. So this book yeah. comes out in first week of September. Yes. Yep. And the part that you just described to me about going in is something that I really want to jump into cool. because I I know now from personal experience just doing what I just mentioned about the bicycles is it works. And so I, I don't know how much but deeper then, you take that. But then all of a sudden you're like, hey, Kev, you want to go for a bike ride? Manager. Um, or, or like, hey. Uh, Kevin, <laughs> the manager. Okay. Um, sorry, I'll try that next time. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I tried. Um, but you get, if you get now all of a sudden, you know, you you share with friends or, or just various people, hey, I like riding bicycles. All of a sudden you create a biker posse. And, and that biker posse creates this connected sort of you share the same interests and now all of a sudden you're like oh wow I didn't realize how awesome you are let's be friends and now all of a sudden you have homies beyond your wife and two kids you know like I'm mean, obviously you have a lot of friends too I'm sure but but it's but it's wonderful also to have a community who also share your interests and your values um in in truly authentic ways you, you know I'm, I'm thinking about people who love bicycles being 
attracted to somebody who's saying, oh, I really, I want to get out there and ride a bicycle. But there may be other people who are saying, you know what? Me too. Right. I used to love riding that's what a I'm bicycle. Saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. And here's actually what's and cool. And that's like almost a deeper yes. into this into this circle. Exactly. Into and the core. Right. And, and you find your But then here's also what's cool. And my buddy Jesse started this um, um, really cool bike community called the Cyclones. And, you know, once a month, hundreds of cyclists get together and we go on this like amazing bike ride to Coney Island or somewhere. Oh, I got it. Yeah, go. you got to go. I remember that. the community. Yeah, exactly. I belong. Exactly. And then he has like, you know, DJ playing music. And, but here's Hold what's how cool. can a DJ play music while you're. You put a boombox on your on the front of your bike and you have it in a basket and it's really fun and it's cool. Yeah, I create a playlist, you know? Um, but then, but then. What's cool about what you can do, since you like bicycles and big questions, is that you can just go cruise around. Like, I would love to do big questions with Cal Fussman on a cruiser, right? So now, all of a sudden, <laughs> right, you can have topics of discussion. Here's a, here's a big, here's a community building idea for you. Okay. And try this out in, in California, and I'll come and do it with you um, when I come out there for my book tour. But... Big question that Cal Fussman's on bicycles. So instead of you going to a bar, because who fucking wants to go to a bar anymore, but you love riding bicycles, you'd want to do it anyway. How dope would it be if you were riding bicycles and you said, all right, guys, today's big question that you can pair off and find a friend on the bicycle and, and we're going to talk about this big question around this topic. And then everyone pairs around and then you can have, you can stop the bike around along the way and share an insight for five minutes with everybody. And then you end up at a bar somewhere where everyone parks their bicycles and now you can have a drink and share together what you discover with the big questions, right? So all of a sudden you've created a community within a community around two things that you love, which is big questions and bicycles. And who does, I would do that every week. If I could find, if I could ride my bicycle with Cal Fussman around a big question where you've thought about it, right? And all, it would be the biggest thing in LA. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. Um, you know, see this, this is why I love this podcast <laughs> because I would never think of that. <laughs> And, this, it's, and so it's, so, it's so easy for it to come off your tongue. You, well, why is that? Because this is what I do every day for my life. I've, I'm a community architect, you know, and I think about this all day long is how can I find you, the community that's going to resonate and make you the happiest. And now that we've sat here, I've heard about your love for bicycles, big questions, how this is, this is the two things together would be such a wonderful day and outing would give you energy. Because I, I think of, you know, I think of when I think of you, when, when I said you need to go out there in the world and meet people, are like, okay, now I have to go and do that, which is a lot of energy. And so it's a kind of can be exhausting. You want to be with your family, their kids. But what if you did something where I call it in my book, an equal energy exchange. What are the things in your life that will give you an equal energy exchange? And in this case, it's riding bicycles. So it's bikes and questions together will give you energy too. So that's, so that's, I'm always sort of like analyzing, right? Um, so that it becomes something that you want to be doing. Because otherwise, community will fade over time. Like, if you then go to a bar once a month, you're like, Kev, the manager, I can't do this anymore. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes, that, you okay. got to get this right. right let me do it. Let me do it. Kevin, <laughs> the manager. Kevin, the manager. There you go. All right, cool. O okay. Um, so, but yeah, like. After a while, you just be like, I can't do this anymore, Kat. Like, just don't put me. I, I just, like, I can't talk to another person about a big question when their big question is, how do I plunge my toilet? You know, so I'm, I'm making that up. But, okay. But do you know what I'm saying? So, 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 I think that 
the only way for me, Daybreaker Sustainable, I will do this for the rest of my life. I will throw dance parties for the rest of my life because I love it. I love dressing up in costume. I love moving my body with reckless abandon. I love dancing with my friends. I love throwing theme parties. I love waking up in the morning or before everybody else does and just just let go and start my day with energy. It's something that I can do forever. And I know that my kids are going to love it. I know that Hero and my sister families will love it because we're sober. So we have all kinds of families now coming to our events. We have so many kids dancing with us now. And and that's the stuff that I, I can do for the rest of my life. And my other belong, my book, I could talk about belonging and community for the rest of my life, you know, because I'm so energized by the idea of every human feeling a sense of belonging, which will then eradicate the future Trumps and eradicate the future ISIS's of the world and eradicate gun violence. All of the gun violence is a symptom of our lack of belonging, right? It's not that we need to put gun violence regulations, that we need to help everyone belong. If that kid who shot all the kids felt as a belonging, he wouldn't do that in the first place. So I feel a deep mission around this concept. And I could do that for the rest of my life. And, and I, I have a new project I'm launching called Live It Up as well, which is um, the first ever text message-based life school led by the best guides in the world. So like John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods, teaches the entrepreneurial um, mindset. On um, text. On text message. Yeah. So he'll, he'll text you every morning, but then it links out to a video that you can watch. Oh, okay. But, but the point is right now, online courses are, the drop-off rates are so high because you'll watch it once or twice, two courses, and then all of a sudden you're, um, all of a sudden you're, you've kind of lost interest because it's too much of a pain in the ass to log on to your portal. But imagine text messages where you have 90% open rates. All of a sudden you get a text message every morning. What's up, Cal? Rada here. I'm at today's day one of your community building journey. I'm doing community building. I'm doing 21 days of community building. So 21 days a day, the time takes to develop the habit. So every day for 21 days, I'll be in your phone every morning. I'll say, what's up, Cal? Good morning. Rada here. Today's community building question is, what do you value in life? Let's come up with your value system. Watch my video now and, and check it out. And then you click on the link and it opens your video. And there I am in your phone in the morning when you wake up, when you're on the bathroom pooper, when you're in your bed, when you're in your living room, when you're with your kids. Like you can do this with a family, with your whole family. When your kids go to college, you can do this together to stay connected. Um, so we've identified 12 unbelievable experts from um, Dr. Mark Hyman, who is the top functional medicine doctor, he's leading Nutrition Essentials. We have uh, Sally Krawcheck, the former CEO of Morgan Stanley, leading Financial Abundance. We have um, we we are talking. We we have. Um, Emily Fletcher doing meditation and Ali Bogard doing mindfulness. And it's just a really wonderful, my Mickey, my twin sister doing unlocking your creative potential. Um, so we have unbelievable guides and experts teaching you how to human in the modern world. Yeah. You, you know, if, if I could hang around with you for 90 hours. <laughs> Let's be besties. <laughs> Let's be besties. <laughs> I think we already are. I, we, I think we didn't need the yeah. 90. <laughs> I think I'm going to be best friends with your book. It's, you've really got me curious now to go inside before I go outside and see where I belong and who belongs with me. Uh, but... We definitely belong on a bicycle together yes. somewhere someday soon. Absolutely. I so promise I will do that with you soon. Let's set it up. Okay. And I want to thank Kevin, <laughs> the manager, for setting all this up. I leave here a different man. Mm. 
That makes me so happy to hear that. Thank you very much. You're the best, Cal. More soon. I think you're the best. Wind in the hair next time. <laughs> Wind in the hair. Okay. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Time to wrap it up. Want to thank Nena Ike in Dublin for writing me to let me know she appreciates the fact that I thank Tim Ferriss at the end of every podcast. Tim, thank you for not only pushing me to start this podcast, but for helping to turn it into a community. There are enough listeners and big questions in Dublin now for me to organize a little get-together at a pub. And that is what's going to happen. Sarah and Duck, I expect to see you there. Drinks are on me. I'm so blessed to be making all these beautiful connections. A couple of weeks ago, as I mentioned in the intro, I did a podcast with Mick Ebeling, the founder of Not Impossible Labs. Mick's team has come up with a device that can stop the tremors in people who have Parkinson's disease. This device will be released to the public at the end of the year. I asked everybody who listens to Big Questions to reach out to me through calfussman.com if they know someone with Parkinson's disease, and a lot of people did. One of those listeners was a woman named Victoria Leader. As Victoria and I went back and forth over email, she told me about some artwork she'd created to auction off to help the people of Kerala, India, where life has been turned upside down by flooding. You can see that artwork at victorialeader.com. That's Victoria Leader, L-E-A-D-E-R.com. And when you get to the homepage, click Artwork. If you can help Kerala and Victoria in any way, good karma will be coming your way. Thanks for sending me photos of where you listen to Big Questions. And if you can pass on an episode of Big Questions that you got something out of to a friend you care about, I'd really appreciate it. And I hope the person that you send it to will appreciate it as well. Maybe they'll pass it on to one of their friends. We'll see where all this goes. One thing I'm sure of, wherever in the world you are, I'm coming your way. Cheers.